My friends, I just want to take a moment before we share in the word to just let you know how proud I am to be your pastor. I'm so grateful that we are leaning in and helping one another to connect in, uh, when we have, are not able to connect in the ways that we're used to, uh, helping people get online to our services and calling and sharing cards and other special encouragements. And I'm also so thankful for how many of you are leaning in and recognizing that this is an opportunity for ministry. I heard a couple of you say in a couple of different ways that the church is not closed, the church has been deployed. And I could not agree with that anymore. There is a wonderful opportunity in the middle of the difficulty for our people, God's people, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So I want to thank you for all the ways that you're doing that, and I want to encourage you to continue to find ways to reach out in care and concern for the world, for this is a time when people need Jesus and I want to thank you for that. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and uh, if you ha- couldn't tell by the palms behind me, which are lovingly cut from the woods by Mr. Andy Whiten and his boys, and you also have some beautiful flowers cut from the garden of Miss Ann Whiten. Um, and so today we begin the journey from the top of the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, where Jesus will go to the cross, into the tomb, and then, oh then, comes resurrection. And so let's join together in this journey. I want to invite you to join with me in hearing the word of Scripture today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of the disciples, saying, Go and enter the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, Its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Some things that don't make sense make perfect sense. 
Yes, you heard that right. Let me say it again. Some things that don't make sense make perfect sense. For example, do you remember learning to drive? Some of you learned it really easily. Uh, the mechanics of driving make sense, okay? So you press one pedal to go, and you go, and another pedal to slow down and stop, and you stop. You want to turn left? Turn the steering wheel to the left. You want to go right? Turn the steering wheel to the right. That stuff, it all makes good sense. And I did all right with all that, but other stuff didn't make so much sense. For example, parallel parking. That doesn't make any sense to me. My thought is, just find another space. And then I remember um, when I was learning to uh, back out of the driveway. So I learned to drive first, and when it was time for the lesson of backing out of the driveway, my mom said, now Jimmy, now she used to call me Jimmy. I'm Jim now because I'm a grown man, but, you know, whatever. Uh, she said, Jimmy, don't forget, turn right to turn left. And I said, huh? And it didn't make any sense until, of course, I, I thought about it and practiced it. And, of course, it didn't make sense at the time, but it makes perfect sense. Here's some more. For example, a sharp knife is safer than a dull knife. Now, that might not make sense because sharp things cut. And if it's sharper, it might cut you more. But a dull blade might slip off of your potato while you're cutting it, and all that pressure you're having to use might damage your finger even more. So a sharp blade, though it doesn't make sense, is safer than a dull blade. Now, another one. You can't get anything done without working, right? You've got to work to get something done. So if you think about that, the more you work, the more you accomplish, right? Well, not necessarily. At a certain point, the more you work, the less you accomplish because you lose the energy to focus and you actually spend more time doing less. So, even though it doesn't make sense, to get more done, you might need to sleep more and work less. How about it? Now, what about this one? Water puts out fires, right? Makes perfect sense. But don't throw water on a grease fire because water will make a grease fire spread. Some things that don't make sense make perfect sense. And this one, uh, this one actually hurt my feelings a little bit. Drinking coffee actually can make you more tired in the long run. And exercising when you're tired can actually give you more energy. So, Maybe if you're tired, skip the cup of coffee, and it pains me to say that, and go out for a walk. Some things that don't make sense make perfect sense. Like, for example, right now, to help people, we're staying away from people. It's counterintuitive. But if you really look at it from all of the angles, it, it actually does make sense. And so I'll say it again. Some things make perfect sense even when they don't make sense. But there are some things, though, that don't they just seem so firm that there's no way that it could be any other way? That it's the only way that things should work? Like the law of gravity. What goes up must come down, and it does. There's a reason that we call it the law of gravity, because it's just true. It's an unbreakable norm experience and experimentation have proven it. There are some things that they just seem so firm that nothing else could make sense. But what about hope? What about hope? 
doesn't it seem like there are times when having hope just doesn't make sense? You know, it doesn't take long in life to learn that life doesn't always go the way that we plan. And it doesn't take long to learn that there seems to be another law at work too. That hope plus uncertainty equals disappointment. Have you ever hoped for something and then had it dashed? And then have you ever wondered if it's worth hoping again? It seems like the law of gravity, doesn't it? A law of life. How many times have you heard somebody, uh, somebody well-meaning who's trying to help you out say, don't get your hopes up, kid, or let's be realistic about this? You know, just a month ago, high school seniors were picking out prom dresses and tuxedos, and parents were ordering graduation invitations and probably fruit and cheese trays for the party. And as recently at the beginning of this past week, People were still holding on to hope that school would resume in time for those rites of passage, so to speak, to take place. But then by the end of the week, reality is a little different. What do we learn about hope when something like that happens? What do we learn about hope when we watch the stock market plummet after we had hoped for a fruitful retirement or when we can't go to work and We are working in our dream business that we had hoped would carry us through. You know, it's hard to be let down, isn't it? The difficulties of life, they they seem to try to teach us that hope, hope doesn't make sense. It's like the world just wants to speak out in the most knowing voice, don't get your hopes up, kid. But that's a well-meaning lesson, I think. I think that When people would say that, and when we think that, it's a well-meaning lesson to try to avoid hurt. In fact, that's a lesson that a group of Pharisees tries to teach Jesus on the very first Palm Sunday. So we just read about it in the Gospel of Luke, and we see that Jesus does some, well, let's just say he does some strange stuff that day. Jesus borrows somebody's donkey. I don't think they had donkey Uber back in the day, and so he makes arrangements to get somebody's donkey, a very specific donkey one that has never been ridden, and he rides into Jerusalem like a king. And there are tons of ways to enter the city of Jerusalem. There are eight gates to get in there, but he just so happens to choose the one gate that's directly across from the temple that's reserved only for the high priests and the one that tradition holds the Messiah would enter Jerusalem through. Jesus is doing some strange stuff. But the crowd of disciples that's with him, they're doing some strange stuff too. They start shouting in praise. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're starting to shout with joy. We have hope. There's a king. And here's a a cool little thing about the gospel of Luke. Um, Here in Luke 19, you see the phrase, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you wonder if those words sound familiar then why don't you go back to Luke chapter 2 and see what the angels tell the shepherds. This is king-like language. The king that we have hoped for, these disciples, are shouting in hope. And they're throwing their cloaks down. They were acting like this peasant guy on a donkey was the answer to everything they've ever hoped for. And it was about to cause some trouble. 
Look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, you see, there were some Pharisees that were sympathetic to Jesus, even if they held their emotional distance. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, hey, look, you've got to tell them to be quiet. What they're doing doesn't make sense right now. Getting your hopes up for this doesn't make enough sense for all the racket you're causing. And you know, by, by logic alone, if you really look at it from their point of view, I think the Pharisees might have a good point. So let's take a look at some of the things that might be going on in their mind that would lead them to say that it makes no sense for the disciples to shout with hope right now. So here's one. The Messiah, according to the tradition and the, of the Pharisees and the Torah and the prophets, the Messiah is supposed to be a king who will take back Israel from the opposing forces of invading armies, like the Roman Empire, for example. But Jesus is a guy on a little donkey with no weapons and an army of ragtag followers. Doesn't quite fit the bill in the mind of the Pharisees. Here's another. You're, you're not supposed to make a triumphal entry into a city before you've won a battle. Kings and generals would make these kind of parades into cities to celebrate their victories, but Jesus hasn't fought anyone. In fact, according to the mind of the Pharisees, he's guaranteed to lose if he goes in to take on the empire in Jerusalem now. Well, another, the Pharisees, see, they're experts at the Scriptures, and they have dedicated their lives to teaching people that the Messiah will come when Israel is finally pure down to the last person. Well, that hasn't happened. And Jesus surely isn't exhibiting that way. In fact, Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. He eats with sinners. That was another no-no. And he spends time with outsiders. Well, one more thing from the Pharisees' perspective that would tell us that this doesn't make much sense to them. This isn't going to end well. You see, Jesus isn't the first to say that he was a Messiah with people following him there in Jerusalem. There had been lots of so-called Messiahs. In fact, you might remember that later on we'll hear about Barabbas. He might have very well been one of those who would come up to be a military leader against Rome. And you know what happened to all of those so-called Messiahs? They ended up dead. Their followers scattered. It's almost like they're saying, look, Jesus, you've got to keep these guys quiet because if, if they keep shouting in praise and hope, somebody's going to hear you and then they're going to keep an eye on you and we're all going to be in danger. And this, this fine balance that we have between our hope for the Messiah and getting along with the government of Rome, you're going to make that totter. It's safe for Jesus if we just quietly sit back and wait and see what happens. That way, we'll all be pleasantly surprised if things work out, and we won't be too disappointed if they don't. So in other words, don't get your hopes up, kid. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Let's be realistic here. It doesn't make any sense to have hope in a situation like this. The circumstances don't, they just don't line up for that level of optimism, Jesus. 
But no one told the Pharisees, apparently, that surprising bit about coffee and exercise or that neat little thought that I found that a sharp knife is safer than a dull one. You see, what the Pharisees don't seem to understand is that sometimes, sometimes things make perfect sense when they don't make sense, like hope. Here's what the disciples know that the Pharisees don't. They know that Jesus isn't a king that people expect. He's a better king. He's the king that God promised. And what could be better than what God promised? Have you ever noticed that sometimes what God wants in your life and what God wants for you is bigger than you could ever imagine for yourself? That we live our life in these confines of, of, of strange situations, like we can't go this far or that far, or these things are just outside of our purview, but God is bigger. Here's what God promised about this very moment in Zechariah 9, 9. Hear this. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the prophecy of the Messiah. And so you'd better believe that the moment that Jesus crests the hill of the Mount of Olives and his disciples see what he's doing and where he's going, that they have lived with these passages their whole lives and they know that something special from God is happening here. That here comes a king in humility, not with pomp and circumstance because you don't need that when the power of God is behind you. He comes with righteousness, not with might, because all he needs is the Lord's righteousness and might. And you know that when they see Jesus coming atop the Mount of Olives, riding a donkey that no one had ever written, that they know exactly what it means. It means that the king is here. The true king is here. It's not like I expected it's not like I thought it was going to be, and it's going to turn out different than I'd always thought, but he is here, the one with majesty beyond my wildest imagination, and that is a reason to hope. Another thing that the disciples know that the Pharisees don't is that Jesus has, in fact, been fighting a war with an enemy far greater and far more destructive than the Roman Empire ever could be. And he's about to enter his final battle. Listen to this. The second half of verse 37 gives us a very specific reason of why they're crying out in hope and praise. It says this. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. They praise him with loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You see, they'd seen Jesus in action. And the battles that Jesus was fighting were, didn't look the same as they might with a phalanx and armor and shields and spears. Jesus is taking on the powers and principalities of this world. He's healed the sick. He has given sight to the blind. He's made the lame to walk again. He's cast out demons from people. And they have reason to hope in Jesus because he has gone head to head with the greatest enemies of humanity and he's come out victorious every time. And they have no reason to doubt that no matter what Friday would throw at Jesus, no matter what it looked like, that he'd come out victorious there too. 
There's another thing that the disciples know. And I believe that they learned this by following Jesus. I think that's the same way we'll learn it too. Is that victory doesn't have to look like we think it should. You see, these disciples have turned all of that over to Jesus. They've given him their preconceived ideas and their best, best case scenarios. And they've trusted God to work it out in Christ. You see, Jesus' crucifixion on Friday is, does not in any way nullify their hope on Sunday. They don't look back and say, oh gosh, I guess I wasted my time being so, disapp- being, I'm so disappointed because I had hope and I shouldn't have. No, you see, Jesus' crucifixion on Friday does not nullify their hope on Sunday because the people of God know that there is another Sunday coming where Jesus stands back up and gives the knockout punch to death and darkness and the powers of sin. Another Sunday's coming where Jesus will step right out of the grave after everybody has cashed out their bets and thrown in their chips. Another Sunday is coming where he will take his rightful seat in the throne of the universe. Victory doesn't have to look like we think it should because what we think it should look like, oh, it's sometimes way too small. Now, if those things from the text aren't enough from you. Here's one more. Jesus adds a final word in verse 40, and he responds to the Pharisees. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There is hope, hope that wells up out of the rocks of the earth, out of the inanimate yet created by God things of the world. There is hope And if we don't share it, it will be shared, so we might as well get on on the mix. There is hope to be shared, and it doesn't make sense, but it is true. You know what else doesn't make sense? That the rocks would shout anything, let alone hope, but here it is. Things sometimes don't make sense, but that doesn't mean they don't make sense. Here's what we learn from the disciples and even from the rocks. When you're in the presence of Jesus, it makes perfect sense to hope when it doesn't make sense. When you're in the presence of Jesus, it makes perfect sense to hope when it doesn't make sense. Don't be afraid today to hope because you don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't have to protect your heart when it's in the hands of God. Give yourself the freedom to give praise and to hope anyway. Don't be afraid to hope because you've been disappointed in the past. When you are with Jesus, you are walking on the road of things that will happen that you could never imagine. They will be nothing like what you have experienced in the past. This hope, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, does not disappoint. Don't be afraid to hope today because things don't look like you had planned them to. Hope does not disappoint. So I'm going to tell you, get your hopes up, kid. Lift them up higher than the way you think that they should go. Lift them up higher and higher until they are higher than even your best, best case scenario. Lift them to Jesus, the victorious king who walked through all of the difficulties and circumstances of Holy Week and yet sits enthroned as the king of the universe. Some things that don't make sense actually make perfect sense. For example, 
A sharp knife is safer than a dull one. Exercising can give you energy and coffee can make you tired and hope is exactly for times like these. When you're in the presence of Jesus, it makes perfect sense to hope when it doesn't make sense. And I want to leave you with this blessing from Romans chapter 5, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, even when it doesn't make sense. Will you pray with me? Father, I sense in my heart that there's somebody listening today who is having difficulty holding on to hope. And I pray, O God, that you would speak to them right now, Lord, that you would send forth your Spirit to cover their heart, to give them peace beyond their understanding, that you would assure them that all is safe in your hand and that all is well and they have reason to hope. Speak into their circumstances, provide for them, give for them everything that they need. And bless all who are listening and all who are watching now and in the hours to come. Father, we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus.